Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Tunnels and Bridges. For more than 2,000 years, we've used the destruction of Jerusalem as a metaphor for the broken and perpetually unredeemed state of our world. Restoring Jerusalem is Jewish for perfecting the world. The perfection of the world, or tikkun ha'olam, is a core Jewish value. Some say it is the primary Jewish value, the thing Jews are obligated to do above everything else. In essence, tikkun ha'olam means the establishment of a social order that is aligned with God, which is to say a social order that reflects God's defining qualities of chesed, love, mishpat, justice, and tzedek, equity. The ultimate goal of tikkun olam is the establishment of shalom, peace, a condition free from division and strife, in which every person sees herself as inescapably interconnected with everyone else. A society of unity that embodies God's fundamental oneness. It's of course hard to imagine a society governed by human beings that could look like this. After all, even when the ancient Jerusalem stood, things were rarely ideal. Despite the optimism embedded in its name, Yerushalayim, City of Peace, rabbinic tradition holds that the city's ruin in antiquity was the result of unchecked hatred, pervasive injustice, and rampant violence. And today, Jerusalem is both the beating heart of Jewish spirituality and also the epicenter of interreligious strife among Jews and a primary source of the intractable conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. That's why our ancestors envisioned that the world would only attain true perfection with the advent of direct divine sovereignty. And when God's rules inaugurated, they naturally presumed that the seat of God's dominion would be Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, God's dominion of love, justice, equity, and peace would extend over all. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, Ki mitzion teitzei Torah, Udvar Adonai Yerushalayim. Torah shall go forth from Zion and the word of God from Jerusalem. But because Jerusalem has always been corrupted by human imperfection, our tradition is held that God will rule our world from an altogether new Jerusalem, a Yerushalayim Shamala, a heavenly Jerusalem, which will in time supplant Yerushalayim Shalmata, the earthly Jerusalem. When the ancient rabbis envisioned that heavenly Jerusalem, they looked upon a city in ruins, overrun by wild beasts, dominated by foreign occupiers, and beset by tragedy brought about by a combination of Jewish failure and imperial brutality. So they countered the impoverished earthly Jerusalem with a vision of an opulent heavenly Jerusalem, a city of gold and silver and of sapphires and rubies. And where earthly Jerusalem was beset by oppression, poverty, and violence, heavenly Jerusalem would have an overabundance of justice and harmony. In other words, the rabbis envisioned that the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem were negative images of each other, 
with the heavenly Jerusalem therefore representing a new world order, a future radically different from our present, characterized by radical inclusion, social justice, and pervasive peace. According to tradition, one of the defining features of the heavenly Jerusalem is that it's big enough to include everyone in the world. The rabbis based this belief on Psalm 122, which they understood not as a description of the Jerusalem that was or is, but rather of the Jerusalem that one day will be. The psalmist writes, I rejoiced in those who said to me, let us go to God's house. Our feet were standing in your gates, Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that is built as a city that is joined fast together, where the tribes, the tribes of God make pilgrimage. Earthly Jerusalem has always been a hotbed of division, strife, a place whose sanctity was contested by the various Israelite tribes, the point of rupture that resulted in ten lost tribes, and later ground zero for interreligious sectarian violence among Jews. Earthly Jerusalem was in ancient times most likely not a city that felt welcoming or inclusive. For many, receiving an invitation to Jerusalem was not an occasion that would have evoked joy, but rather anxiety and trepidation. Who knew what kind of hostility one might encounter among the fractiousness that existed within its gates? The sense that Jerusalem could not accommodate everyone has persisted throughout history and remains true today when many Jerusalemites are displaced through gentrification, poverty, and a lack of affordable housing. When Jews frequently come to blows with each other over their religious differences, and when Jews, Muslims, and Christians struggle to coexist there. But the heavenly Jerusalem is the opposite. Heavenly Jerusalem is, in the psalmist's words, a city joined fast together, meaning a city in which diverse peoples feel connected to and responsible for each other, a place where people of every tribe are embraced and included. Heavenly Jerusalem has both physical and spiritual room for everyone, and no one is made to feel left out. Heavenly Jerusalem will have plenty of room for the whole as well as the broken, for the well-off, and also for the fallen, for the healthy, and also for the infirm, for the free, and for the oppressed, not only for the Jewish people, but also all who dwell on earth. And this heavenly Jerusalem is not just radically inclusive, but thoroughly and perfectly just. The psalmist identifies Jerusalem as a place notable for its thrones of justice. That is to say, a city in which disputes between people are fairly and equitably adjudicated, in which social order is maintained because the rule of law prevails, and resources are distributed equitably, and in which the moral order is maintained because all people are treated and nurtured as equals. It's fair to say that this picture has never accurately portrayed the Jerusalem of past or present. But in the same way that rabbinic tradition understands the inclusive Jerusalem of Psalm 122 to describe a Jerusalem that one day will be, so too does it hold the psalmist's vision of Jerusalem's justness to be predictive. A future Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem, will be one synonymous with justice. 
In this, the rabbis echo the vision of Isaiah, who prophesies that one day God will restore justice and wise counsel to Jerusalem, and that after that, Jerusalem shall be called City of Equity. Indeed, in today's Haftarah, Isaiah predicts that in time to come, people will come to Jerusalem from all over the world, specifically to seek out perfect justice, where the poor and the lowly of the land are judged with equity and righteousness. In this new Jerusalem, justice, both administrative and distributive, will be done justly. No no person will suffer want, for the distribution of resources will be fair. No person will suffer discrimination or persecution, because all will be honored as equals. No person will suffer from an unfair, unfair verdict or unjust incarceration, because in this Jerusalem, judgment will be perfect. As Isaiah prophesies in today's Haftorah, Lo yira'u lo yashchitu b'chol har kochi, kima'ah ha'aretz de'at adonai kamayim le'yam mechasim. In all my holy mountain, no one shall perpetrate evil or commit oppression. For the land shall be filled with knowledge of the infinite as water fills the sea. Indeed, radical inclusion coupled with complete and pervasive justice leads inexorably to the third characteristic of the heavenly Jerusalem, peace. In today's Haftorah, Isaiah speaks to this point, famously declaring that in this new Jerusalem, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the kid, the calf, the beast of prey, and the fatling together, and a young child will herd them. That fantastical image of the violent natural order being overturned is meant to convey the point that in this radically different future, as the prophet says elsewhere, all the people of peoples of the world will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will never again know war. Again, it's fair to say that the earthly Jerusalem has never been the site of tranquil and harmonious relations between people. Isaiah is describing a place not yet of this world, a city of peace, whose model inspires all people to lay down their arms, destroy their weapons, and transform their tools of human destruction into tools for human flourishing. According to the 19th century Ukrainian scholar Malbim, the peacefulness of Jerusalem is a direct result of its inclusivity and justice. He says the need for war-making is due to two things. One, when two peoples do not have a common law, when their legal systems are completely different, the sword will judge and decide between them. Two, to protect law and order within a country so that people do not rebel and throw off the yoke of rule. This heavenly Jerusalem will be composed of all peoples from all the most diverse backgrounds imaginable. Peace is not possible without such radical inclusivity because, according to Malbim, divisions between people invariably lead to conflict. Peace only comes when people sense that they share more than they differ. At the same time, members of a diverse society, even a society that is united under common law, will inevitably clash. But because the new Jerusalem will feature perfect and equal justice, the typical reasons for conflict and war will become obsolete. And since there will cease to be need to wage war, people will beat their swords into plowshares 
and never again, no war. Now you might say that this is all well and good, but it's purely fantasy. We, on the other hand, live in the real world where inequality, oppression, and violence are, have always been, and may forever be, ubiquitous features of human existence. After all, all faiths preach justice and pray for peace. And that's precisely because injustice and war are universal and probably inevitable. But that's not what our tradition says. From the prophets to the rabbis and beyond, our tradition repeatedly insists that the problems that plague our world are not inevitable. They're produced and or exacerbated, at least in part, by bad policies and broken systems. We can advance a radically inclusive, thoroughly just, and perfectly peaceful world if we reform oppressive systems and structures. The world does not need to remain broken forever. We can fix it. For this reason, the rabbis of the Talmud taught, the Holy Blessed One said, I will not enter Jerusalem above until I enter Jerusalem below. In other words, the advent of the heavenly Jerusalem depends on our making the earthly Jerusalem an inviting place for the indwelling of the divine presence, a place imbued with the godly qualities of loving inclusivity, justice, and equity. When every human being is welcome and when justice reigns in the earthly Jerusalem, then and only then the heavenly Jerusalem can finally be complete. Its establishment on earth not only possible, but inevitable. Why? Because in making the earthly Jerusalem godly, we transform it into the heavenly Jerusalem. This insight is not simply true of Jerusalem. The persistent brokenness of the earthly Jerusalem is also pervasive and present in every city, and indeed all over the world. Remember, restoring Jerusalem is Jewish for perfecting the world. Thus, heavenly Jerusalem is a model for a perfected world, and Jewish tradition insists that if we remake any and all of our cities in the image of God's love and justice, they will become the heavenly cities they were destined to be, and redemption will be at hand. That, I think, is why we conclude the Passover Seder by exclaiming next year in the built Jerusalem. It's the same reason we read Isaiah's vision of a perfected world today at the conclusion of Passover. Because on this holiday, in which we recall the original redemption of our ancient ancestors, our tradition reminds us that we and our world are still in need of redemption. That so long as oppression and injustice reign in our societies, we are still stuck in Egypt. And just as our ancient ancestors had to be active partners in their own liberation from Egypt, we must not simply wait around for God to bring the heavenly Jerusalem to earth. We must do the work of perfecting the world, of making heaven on earth. As we move toward the conclusion of Pesach this year, the challenge and the task before us is to make possible the hope of next year in the built Jerusalem by recommitting ourselves to do what we can to bring about a world of love, a world of justice, a world of peace. It is within our power to make this world heaven on earth. 
And since we can, we must. Oseh shalom bimromav, hu yaaseh shalom alenu, ve'al kol Yisrael, ve'al kol Yoshevei Tevel. May the one who makes peace in God's realm make peace for us, for all Israel, and for all who dwell on earth. And let us say, Amen. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.